Hey, everybody, and welcome to an edition of Coach's Corner. I am so psyched to bring you an interview with a dear friend of mine who is just a badass in so many ways. She's an incredible businesswoman, leader, mentor, mom. She's just super cool, and I'm lucky to get to hang out with her down in San Diego. Her name is JJ Virgin. If you don't know her, you're going to know her and love her in this episode. And she is a celebrity nutrition and fitness expert, and she teaches people how to lose weight and master their mindset so they can lead bigger, better lives. And this woman walks the talk. We get into all kinds of good stuff. As you know, if you've listened to the show for a while, I'm obsessed with health and human optimization. And JJ jam packs this interview with so much good info, information you can trust. She's the author of four New York Times bestsellers, including The Virgin Diet and The Sugar Impact Diet. Her latest memoir, which is amazing, is called The Miracle Mindset, A Mother, Her Son, and Life's Hardest Lessons, which explores the powerful lessons and strength and positivity that she learned after her son Grant was the victim of a brutal hit-and-run accident. JJ is a prominent TV and media personality. She's all over the place. PBS, Dr. Oz, Rachel Ray, The Today Show, and so much more. You can learn more at jjvirgin.com. Enjoy my talk with the amazing JJ Virgin. JJ, I am so grateful to have you in my life as a friend, as a mentor, and now I'm so psyched to be able to share you with my tribe. They probably already know you. A lot of them probably already know you, but for those who don't, so excited that they get to know you. Thank you for being here. Ah, thank you, honey. Yeah. So you are one of the sweetest people I know, but you don't eat any sugar. (laughs) And I want to just start right there because I think that there is a massive sugar addiction in our world and we don't even know we're eating sugar when we are. So no, it's the worst. We think worst. we're being good and then sneaking on in. That's that's the sad one. That is. That is. So, okay, let's let's break it down. Why is sugar not great for us beyond just it puts on weight? There's there's other reasons that are more about our health. And where is it sneaking in? Yeah, I mean, that's honestly, the the weight's just a side effect of the whole thing. It's it's really, when you look at like all the major diseases, I mean, the bad ones, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, osteoporosis, osteoarthritis, um, dementia, if you look at all of these things, it's like sugar is right there in the center of it. But I look at it just every single day of your life. If you are addicted to sugar, it's like you're in a, a food prison. And it really impacts your mood, your energy levels. So that's more what I'm looking at is like, yes, all those things, those are bad. They take you down, but it's the daily takedown that sugar does. Because if you're, if you're elevating your mood and your energy with sugar, you're, you're going up and then you're crashing back down again. And that's no way to live. Yeah. It's, I have noticed such a difference. I never ate a lot of sugar to begin with, but I liked my chocolate every now and then or, even kombucha, things like that. And I have been off sugar for 40 days, completely off it. And I sleep great. I'm super clear. I have lots of energy. I don't have that dip in the day. And I didn't even have that much sugar. So I can't imagine people that do have a lot of sugar, how different their life would be if they just cut it out. And, and do we have to cut it don't out? Don't cut it out. You don't just cut it out. That's like That's- a recipe. Yeah. A recipe for failure um, is just cut it out. But you know, what's going to be interesting, Christine is, and this is part of what I put into the sugar impact diet book is we, I teach you to taper down and trade because mm. if you take someone who's been a sugar addict and cut it out, they'll crash. And uh, then they go, well, that didn't work. <laughs> and then they're back on it. 
and then they're back on it. So, you know, I want, I always want people to win and to be successful. So I have a process, but, um, what's very interesting, and this is what's most exciting is when I set out to do this, it was, I took 700 sugar addicts, like proclaimed, I can't quit people. I did not go for easy, but my big goal was to get them so that sugar just didn't even taste good anymore. Cause I knew if I could accomplish that, then they were free. And what I'm really excited to hear from you when I see you next time is what happens now when you eat something sweet? Because my guess is you'll go, ew. Mm. <laughs> and that's what I'm hoping for because then you're truly free when it doesn't taste good anymore. Mm. I love that. I'll let you know. I think chocolate still may taste good though. <laughs> I heard you say that. And, you know, there's stevia sweet and dark chocolate. Yep. I have it. So, Lily's. Yes. Yeah, so thank God for Lily's. There's also a place if you go to Toronto, um, there's a chocolatier called Soma Chocolatier. And they make um, 100% dark chocolate, no sweeteners. And they have a couple different um, no sugar added chocolates and they rock. So Ooh. if you're, if you get to Canada, we always hightail it over there. <laughs> That's going to be my first stop next time I go. <laughs> so you mentioned you have a process. Can you take us through your process? Yes. So what happened was I wrote the Virgin Diet and everybody was, like the biggest question I got asked was, well, what about sugar? I mean, I it's, I'm eating honey. It's natural. It's fine. Right. You know? And I'm mm -hmm. like, Oh my gosh. Or they'd say, but I can have Splenda because there's no calories. So I'm thinking, all right, I clearly have to talk about this. And so I knew that we'd been looking at sugar all wrong. Like, uh, you know, there's still this concept out there that agave is healthy, which makes me insane, or that fruit juice is a great choice when fruit juice, you know, apple juice content or apple juice has more um, fructose than a Coke does. Wow. So, yeah, we're so worried about high fructose corn syrup. Well, don't drink apple juice and don't feed it to your kids. It's, a, it's worse than a soda. So I knew that we really needed a new way of looking at this because the reason agave and the reason apple juice look like they're great for you is because they're high in fructose, which we used to think was good because it doesn't make your blood sugar go up, but it doesn't make your blood sugar go up because it's not going through your bloodstream. It's going to your liver where it turns into fat and creates fatty liver, hypertension, insulin resistance, um, feeds really bad cancers, ages you fast and makes your gut permeable, like really bad, you know, I mean, yeah. like nothing bueno there. Right. So I wanted to create a whole new way of looking at sugar that, that, that looked at how much something impacted your blood sugar or insulin and how much something impacted, um, how much fructose something had, and then contrasted that with, okay, well, what about fiber and nutrient density? Cause we eat for those reasons. And when I looked at this whole thing, I went, okay, why are people failing? Like people cannot get off sugar. What is going on now? Either genetically, they have a sweet tooth and that doesn't mean you're doomed. You know, genes load the gun, but you pull the trigger. And I genetically don't have a sweet tooth. And full disclosure, my mother, my, my mother, I'm adopted and my adopted mom raising me, raised me on pop tarts and Cop Captain Crunch. We dessert mm -hmm. every single night, you know, and and it just was how we rolled. And I basically detoxed myself off sugar when I was 12. Wow. Which made her crazy. She was like so frustrated that I wouldn't eat dessert and stuff. But um, that was just an independent choice you made when you were 12. Yes. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. I, I thank you. I, well, I grew up in Berkeley. I was, I was a dancer. And so I got very into nutrition. I would like hike on over to the local health food store. Bummer was that I thought like I was making better choices, switching to, you know, frozen yogurt, carob and black licorice. So, you know, there was a learning curve and there wasn't a ton of great info out at the time, but 
it's when I really started to look at, you know, look at what I was eating, which I think most teenagers aren't really paying a whole lot of attention on that. But the key takeaway here when I started to look at all of this is we were looking at it all wrong, that we've got to realize that all carbohydrates except for fiber turn into sugar. Your body turns them into sugar. It's just how quickly that's happening. And you don't want to mainline it. You want to make it slowly. And then you know, whether you're a sugar addict because of your genetics, a sugar addict because of stress, because lower stress lowers serotonin and uh, makes your blood sugar go on a roller coaster ride and makes you crave sugar, or it's because of some insulin resistance or diabetes stuff, or it's because of training. You know, I grew up on sugar, exposure equals preference. I had to detox myself off of it. So whatever reason, I wanted to figure out how do I get to turn that around and what I knew for sure and I could tell just by reading a lot of the different um, books on Amazon, I was reading the negative reviews and what I knew for sure wouldn't work is if someone went cold turkey Mm. because if you're used to fueling your body on sugar, you're a sugar burner, not a fat burner. That means every couple hours you have to eat. If you lose weight, you have trouble losing it off your waist. You really trained your body to fuel on sugar and you take that out. It's, there's a transition period to move from a sugar burner to a fat burner. If you just yank that sugar down, your energy will go crashing through the ground and you know, you just won't last. You'll go, screw it. I'm just going to go have a cookie. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> exactly. It's not worth it. <laughs> Is that working? You know, it's just like people, most people, when you look at like the people quitting cigarettes, they do a patch and they wean off. You know, like the cold turkey for cigarettes, the success rate is like something totally dismal. And I I think it's the same. It's very similar with sugar. So Mm -hmm. it's a transition. I taper people down by showing them moving from high sugar impact foods like, you know, white flour products, pasta, white potatoes. Um, So let's say if you're eating pasta, I'd move you into, say, a lentil pasta as a lower sugar impact food and then finally into, say, spaghetti squash, right? Or mm-hmm. zucchini noodles. If you were eating um, a white flour tortilla, I'd move you to a rice tortilla, and then I'd move you to a coconut tortilla. So I shift you down. And at the same time, um, we're working on eating from what I call the trifecta. So good, clean protein, healthy fats, and fiber that's going to help stabilize your blood sugar. Because when your blood sugar dumps, that also makes you go race for the cookies. So stable blood sugar is super, super important. And I find, especially women, tend to eat lower fat, lower protein, higher carb. And that just sets you up to fail. Because mm. mm. your energy level, your cravings, your crashing, all of that. Right. Exactly. And it's not so great for your metabolism as well. Isn't that true? Terrible, actually, for your metabolism long term. And it's interesting. I used to work at Pritikin way back when. And initially, you know, Pritikin was very low fat. You'd have fish, I think, like once a week. So it was basically vegetarian, very low fat, high carb. And the first month people did better because you took out a lot of their, like they weren't going to McDonald's, you know, (laughs) they were, but after that, their triglycerides started to go up. They're, they started to put belly fat on because they flipped around. Chronic high-dose carbohydrates, like you know, if you're eating a higher-carbohydrate diet, let's say you're eating 60% of your diet is carbohydrates, over time, especially if they're higher-sugar-impact carbohydrates, you're going to end up raising blood sugar, raising insulin, becoming insulin-resistant, if not diabetic, and really having trouble losing fat off your waist. Plus, you feed the bad bacteria in your gut, and you feed yeast, and you that that is its own independent um, risk factor for obesity because 
you know, the bad bacteria in your gut actually extracts more calories from the food you eat and stores them as fat, which is so crazy. Mm. Crazy, mm. crazy. Mm. Okay. So maybe overwhelming for somebody that's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> she just said my whole diet. And they may even think, that, what, <laughs> and they may even be thinking, okay, well, what about fruit? Like, can, is, is, is fruit on the good list or the bad list? Well, so here's one of the, I actually did a ranty podcast <laughs> about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was because I got asked about this so much. And I think Weight Watchers actually just really did us in um, with this whole point system where fruit was like this free dessert thing that we could have as if it was no problem for us. And fruit is not a free food. First off, it, the delivery system really matters. So fruit juice, I want you just to think of as a soda. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all these green drinks posing as as healthy, but oh, that are with fruit. Naked juice, how dare you do the green machine? I'm going to call you out right now on the carpet. You should call it a sugar machine. It's It's got more sugar than a Coke. Mm. When you look at the same size Coke, it, this has 44 grams of sugar. Mm. I mean, that is pathetic because you know what the first five things are? Fruit and high sugar fruit. So when, I, when, when we talk about fruit, the first thing you need to look at is this. Number one, soda, you know, juice is a soda. Dried fruit is candy. And fruit juice concentrates or syrup. Those are all gone. Forget it. The only option is fresh or frozen fruit. And then you want to go with things that are low sugar impact, like medium sugar impact fruits, because high sugar impact are things like the juice, the syrup, you know, the dried. But medium sugar impact fruits are the things we know they are, which is pineapple and watermelon and, and bananas, you know, the higher sugar impact fruits. But there's definitely a place in the diet for things like berries especially berries. I'm going to keep going berries. I'm more <laughs> There's definitely because berries are higher in fiber. So that's where they really kick and lower in fructose, but not an unlimited amount of those or any fruit. In fact, what I tell people is if you've got insulin resistance, prediabetes or diabetes um, or fatty liver, don't touch fruit. In fact, pulling fructose out of your diet is so amazing for you because if you eat fructose, the more fructose you eat, the better your body gets at transporting it straight to the liver and making fat. And fructose is super sweet. It's glycating. It's more aging than any other sugar. So you do not want to get good at handling it. You want to suck at handling it. So what I teach people to do is if they're metabolically healthy, one to two pieces of fruit a day, one to two servings. And, you know, don't get into a situation. I still remember I bought like a big thing from Costco of like five pounds of cherries. This was literally, I still remember this from 15 years ago because I ate the whole thing. And... uh, (laughs) Oh, it's just cherries. You know, so just remember these things count and little bits are fine, but don't go overboard. And that's only if you're, you're healthy, you know? Right. And you really do lose your cravings for it. That's what I've noticed when I transitioned. I used to eat in my twenties, I had a lot of fruit and then I started to really learn. And pretty much now it's only apples and berries and, and small servings. Um, yeah. and it makes a difference because then you don't have the, the cravings and you don't have the up and down, which is so exhausting. And then you're reaching not only for sugar, but you're reaching for caffeine and it's just an, an endless cycle. Um, and it's really possible. I think that we just believe that we're supposed to be tired and in the afternoon we're supposed to have a slump and that's not at all true. We're, we're supposed to get tired like at the end of the day when the sun goes down and then sleep well, not get tired at 4 p.m. and then not be able to sleep at night. And I think that so much of that has to do with both stress and diet. So I love that you're on a mission to help us just re, rethink about the way we eat and also the way we snack. 
Because that's one thing that I think a lot of people think is good to just graze throughout the day. But that's not true, correct? Snacking is not a great idea. Can you hear me wagging my head over here? (laughs) Yes, I can see your blonde hair flying (laughs) around. (laughs) I know. I'm like, ah! Um, You know, it's so interesting because I remember all of this being being like your um, older sister. I was like going, I'm not old enough to be your mother, but I'm definitely your older sister here. Um, I remember, first of all, when the whole low-fat thing hit, because I was a personal trainer at the time, and I took it to heart. And I remember Susan Powder running around going, you know, stop the insanity. Everyone stop eating fat because fat, you know, if you eat fat, you get fat. And what was so crazy back then is when we pulled the fat out, of course, like if you pull the fat out, what goes in? And no one was worried about sugar because you just supposedly burned it. And we were doing loads and loads of aerobics back then, too. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) But what was crazy is when you do that, the next thing they taught us to do was eat every two hours, have breakfast, have a snack, have lunch, have a snack, have dinner, have a snack before bed. (laughs) Oh, geez. I know. You know what was crazy? As I was doing this and doing loads and loads of cardio, which just made me even hungrier for more carbs, um, I was never as lean like I am now. So here I am at 54. I'm 10% body fat leaner than then. I worked out at least four times more than I work out now. I was 10 pounds heavier. Crazy. Mm. And I and now I don't snack. I might have a snack occasionally. It depends how I feel in the afternoon. But generally, I have breakfast, lunch, maybe a snack, usually not dinner. And I make it so that I have a 12 to 14 hour overnight fast. I like it to be 14 hours whenever possible. Um, because it's that overnight, it's, it's not just what you eat, but also I've always talked about eating by my, the virgin diet and sugar impact diet clock, you know, eat, eat within an hour or two of waking up. I used to say an hour. Now I go an hour or two and it really depends on your adrenals. And then you eat every four to six hours. If you are snacking, if you've fallen into that whole thing, every time you eat, you raise your blood sugar. If you raise your blood sugar, you raise your insulin. Mm -hmm. If you're eating every couple hours, the problem is blood sugar is a fast reacting fast reacting and horm- and um, insulin's a slow reacting hormone. So if you're eating every two hours, you never get your insulin coming back down. You keep bumping it up. And if your insulin's up, it's pro-inflammatory. That is the message to your body. And it's also blocking the doors. It basically locks the doors to the fat cells so you cannot burn off, burn off store fat as fuel. Oh, stop snacking. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. I love that Bob Newhart video. I know. It's so good. I mean, it's that simple and it does take willpower and it does take an adjustment, but oftentimes we're snacking when we're not even hungry. We're just bored or stressed or we're not even hungry. So here's the deal, Christine, if you care. So here's how you do it. So it's not an issue and it's not a willpower thing because I don't believe in willpower. I think if we, if we had willpower, we'd be dead because, you know, a thousand years ago, we needed to find something and stuff ourselves with it because we never knew when we'd find another thing, Mm -hmm. you know, more food. Now we don't have that issue. So rather than relying on willpower, let's set ourselves up so we don't have the problems. And that means if you're a snacker right now, just like I said, don't go cold turkey on sugar. Um, don't go cold turkey on the snacking. If you've been eating every two hours, the first thing I'm going to have you do is add before you take away. Eat protein, fat, and fiber at each meal because that's going to stabilize your blood sugar and help you feel fuller longer, right? If you're hungry, all bets are off. And then what I want you to do is drink water or ice cream tea or lemon water. I do a thing called lemonade, which is lemon juice, fiber, and glutamine powder in um, water because it really helps with cravings and getting rid of your hunger. 
drink a lot of that in between meals because a lot of times we're not hungry at all. We're thirsty. We've heard that. And then just start stretching out that meal time. Stretch it out. If you've been eating every two hours, go to three. If you've been eating every three hours, go to four. And all of a sudden you'll realize that like last night, you know, I kept doing stuff and doing stuff and doing stuff. And I'm finally like, gosh, you know, I need to start dinner. And I had lunch at like I don't know, 11, 30, 12, and it's now seven wow. and I'm just yeah. messing around. You know? <laughs> like, so, and I, I could have actually probably skipped, which was pretty amazing. So I can't skip breakfast though. I will, I just, I, I lose my mind. Breakfast yeah. and lunch are super important. And I think for most women, I know there's a lot of talking out now about intermittent fasting and ketosis and all this stuff. Here's the deal. Women get infertile when they start messing around too much with a lot of this stuff. Um, I don't see most women doing so well on um, I, like fasting, skipping your breakfast. I, I agree. Do a lot better with our adrenal health when we eat by the circadian rhythm. So cortisol is higher in the morning. So you're eating you know, more morning, midday, less in the evening. Um, and you're shortening that time that you're eating so that you are getting that overnight fast. The time to eat less is at night. Yep. 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 I did intermittent fasting for a year. I was very thin, but it screwed up my hormones and it, it wasn't great. So yeah, I, I love the 12 to 14. I try to finish, if I'm home, I try to be done eating seven, seven thirty the latest. Sometimes that's not always possible, especially if you go out to dinner or whatever. But getting that 12 hours, it really makes a difference, I've noticed. And it's yeah. not that long. Like, you can do it. <laughs> you can absolutely do it. Here's what it does. It's like mentally, most people don't blow it at breakfast. They don't go, you know what? I'm just going to go keep going back to the fridge. and back. They don't do it, right? But at night, there's something like, okay, I'm just, I'm, I'm just kind of my defenses are down evil twin is out. So when you shut the door, like you say, I'm out of the kitchen. I mean, the best thing that could possibly happen is we could have like a, an alarm system around our kitchens. And if you walked in there after a certain time at night, like, you know, you'd either be blasted onto social media or something, you know? Um, but the big, when I was doing a bunch of research on intermittent fasting, the big thing that it showed was that women who were doing intermittent fasting, especially, the, the eight hour windows chronically started to really mess up their hormones. So mm -hmm. that's where I, I mean, and it was kind of across the board. Yep. And I think we've got to realize men and women are different. <laughs> you know? Yes, we are. A lot of the ketosis research and intermittent fasting research, it's, it tends to work better for men than for women who are, you know, hormonal delicacies. Yes, we are. We are hormonal. That's a great way to put it. Hormonal delicacies. <laughs> um, okay, one more sugar question, then I want to shift gears. Uh, you mentioned Splenda, you mentioned agave, not no bueno. What are some good, safe sugar substitutes? Yeah. And here's the deal with Splenda. It's even worse than what we thought because because this this study that they did actually happened in a week. They took people who were not doing artificial sweeteners, gave them artificial sweeteners, and in one week they induced glucose intolerance. Their gut microbiome actually shifted to not be able to handle sugar mm. in one week. And so then they have a bigger blood sugar and insulin response to meals. So that's going to that's why. And we kept seeing that when people used artificial sweeteners, they were gaining weight and becoming diabetic. And it was like, what the heck? Well, that's the mechanism. Isn't that crazy? In a week, a week, a week. It's amazing right. how fast this stuff affects us. And, and even gum, 
all the it, it, gums terrible gum is first of all what a tacky disgusting habit I mean, <laughs> that's disgusting like it's 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 very unattractive so a unattractive disgusting habit but b i'm more concerned about what it's doing to your digestive enzymes because your body's going oh food's coming in oh wait no it's not is it i'm not sure what should i do should i make more enzymes okay you know i mean it's just like don't confuse your body don't yeah. do that and i see a lot of people try to avoid eating by chewing gum no, no, no. It makes you hungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes you hungry, bad for your teeth and has tons of artificial sweeteners in it. So it's just icky poo. I mean, no, even no. the xylitol ones, it doesn't matter if it doesn't just don't do it. So yeah. now over to sweeteners that I do like, I want to say all of this with this one caveat, the goal, and this is what I did in sugar impact diet is to teach you to appreciate the natural sweetness of fruit, to appreciate cinnamon and vanilla, which are natural, great, you know, herbal sweeteners, and then um, to like savory and spicy and sour, you know, and to really retrain your your taste buds. If you're eating a lot of sugar, the more sweet you eat, the more sweet you want. You really start to dull your taste buds as if you like took them to the rock concert, right? And they heard too loud of music. So <laughs> I'm saying this, I'm, gonna, I'm saying what I'm going to say, because I want you to choose wisely. I'm going to tell you which ones work, but don't go crazy with it, is um, number one, um, xylitol and erythritol. So those sugar alcohols, um, I find with xylitol though, that it's can be super gassy. Yikes. Um, and then number two would be either monk fruit or stevia. These are both herbs. And I like both of these the best because they are actually have health benefits to them, which is pretty crazy. So, but here's the thing with all of this stuff is you really want to teach your body not to have to use sweeteners and just to use these. These are the best swap and then taper down off of them as much as possible. Yep. Yep. Cause then those kind of get it. You're still addicted to the sweet if you're having a ton of it. Yeah. I love stevia. That's my sweetener of choice. Um, okay. So sugar impact diet, you guys go get it. Fantastic book. JJ walks you through it. And look, you don't even have to have willpower, <laughs> just a little, <laughs> a little discipline and a different mindset and more information. I think that's the problem is that People just don't have the right information. And you are so great about giving people the, the correct information and a way to implement it. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, your other book, Virgin Diet, talks a lot about food intolerance. Can you speak a little bit about what food intolerance is and how do you know if you have it? Yes. And so really the sugar impact diet, by the way, is really about carb intolerance. What I do with that one is take people through to find out how many carbs they should eat because, oh my gosh, I get asked every day. So it helps you break sugar cravings and figure out how many carbs you should really have in your diet and where should they come from. Then virgin diet, which came first, was all about food intolerance. And it wasn't something I ever set out to write. I was obsessed since I started as a trainer in my 20s. I was in graduate school in exercise science, but I got super obsessed with like weight loss. I figured out pretty quickly that exercise wasn't the frontline therapy for it um, because you can't compensate for a bad diet with a bunch of exercise. It doesn't work. So I started looking at everything that could cause you to gain weight, could get in the way of you losing weight. And one of the things I was doing was using this food sensitivity test um, that figured out if you were intolerant to certain foods. This is something that you build up due to a condition called leaky gut. That's where your gut gets more permeable than it should. Mm. And food gets out in circulation where it shouldn't be, you know, partially digested protein molecules are out there where they shouldn't be. And your body launches an immune attack that creates 
gas, bloating, joint pain, headaches, brain fog, skin problems, autoimmune diseases, um, rashes, you can't lose weight, you crave the very food that's hurting you, you know, so many of these things that people go to their doctor to see. So what happened was I was working in doctor's offices doing this and people would come in with all those complaints and, you know, it was, you know, I always jumped in on that, ran the tests on them and we'd get the test results back and I'd put them on, on my diet. And, uh, what was crazy was they were losing weight. Like we were doing it for all those conditions I talked about and weight loss was this crazy side effect huh. and it was always the same foods. <laughs> and so over time I'm like, gosh, maybe I should just, I started kind of playing around with, they took the test and I put them on the diet before the test results came back got the same result. And then I thought, well, why, maybe I should just, why don't, why am I doing the test? So I literally did it with thousands of people online, just running them through, pulling out these top seven offenders, the six that were causing the immune response, this delayed immune response were corn, peanuts, eggs, soy, dairy, and gluten. And then of course I had to add in sugar and artificial sweeteners because those mess up your gut and can yes, cause yes. the leaky gut that causes the food intolerance. So it was crazy. The results that we were getting. And I realized that when I was looking at these food intolerance tests, 70% of people showed up with eggs or dairy. Then the next group were corn, peanuts, and soy. And then when I, gluten was a different type of test. And what I found with gluten is 40% of people were showing up with some kind of genetic issue with it. But 90% of the people I pulled off noticed the difference. I think the other 10% probably cheated. <laughs> You know, because because you don't realize all the places people like who would think that you order a steak at a restaurant and they put gluten on it. I know. Um, you have to oh, really I, ask. That's yeah. so naughty. You know, it's ridiculous. Like, don't put wheat flour on my steak. Yeah. You know, just don't do that. So and don't. And by the way, like McDonald's puts wheat flour on their on their French fries. Not that you should have their French fries anyway. But, you know, you look at a lot of these things. Wheat flour snuck into so many things that like it, it's no wonder we all have leaky gut because gluten actually makes your gut leaky. So that was that was what I started to see. So literally, I wrote the book. And when I, when I wrote the book, Christine, we were going, now, what should we call it? Because no one really at, at the time I was writing this, you know, it was like there's there were elimination diets that had been done for decades. They were more complicated than they needed to be because I was looking at the testing going, why are they putting all these outliers here? Let's just go for the the most prevalent ones. And then if people still don't feel better, we can test these outliers. But there were food elimination diets. There was allergies, which this wasn't what this was. This was not a, a quick one. And then there were um, either food intolerances, food sensitivities. No one knew what they were. So that's where I just went, okay, I'm going to draw a line in the sand, call this a food intolerance. These <laughs> <laughs> people, you know, that, to understand that if you're eating the same things every single day that are really processed and your gut's damaged with, you know, it's almost impossible not to. Like your gut gets more permeable due to stress. Who's not stressed? Due to medications due to like fructose and artificial sweeteners and gluten, you start to look at all the stuff that changes our gut microbiome that makes our gut more permeable. And it's, it's a wonder, you know, I, I, I think this pretty much impacts everybody. And yes, obviously, does, does. you know, your body's a history book, the older you get, the worse it is. So, you know, it's amazing how quickly it can make a difference. Um, and everything. And I think that what is so important and I've thought this a couple of times as we've been talking and you said it at the beginning, I think that a lot of people, what motivates a lot of people to shift their diet is the way they look. They want to release weight. They want to change their body. But when we really look at how what we're eating 
impacts our health, our mood, which impacts our relationships, which impacts how how our prosperity because it impacts how we work. It impacts everything. So it's shifting our mindset here and not just looking at this as like a diet and what foods I can't or can't have because I want to look a certain way, but really how I want to feel. Because when we come from that place, it's I think it's easier to make these kind of changes. When we really know what our body wants and what it doesn't want, then it's way easier to make the changes. You You may be having headaches because you're eating dairy and you may not have made that connection before. I know for me, when I was diagnosed with depression at like 11 or 12, I was allergic to gluten. I don't think I was really depressed. I think it was a gluten intolerance. But back then, we didn't have the information that we have now. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think what you just said is the key thing here is I go in with weight loss because people will jump in on board with weight loss. And that's just the bottom line. But the people tell me they stay because they feel so much better. And the big key thing that I do that I think makes all the difference is helping people connect the dots between what they eat, how they feel, what they weigh, and really understand the impact food can make positively and negatively on them. Because once you know, like you go through the virgin diet, you pull out all those foods for three weeks, because we can do anything for three weeks, then you go back and you try one by one, you go, oh, wow, when I like when I eat dairy, I break out. So is like that bite of cheese or cheesecake really worth three to seven days of looking like crap? You know, I exactly. mean, it's just not worth it. And when I eat gluten, my fingers and knees swell. So I'm like, you know, once you know that stuff, it completely changes. It's not like, oh, I think I'll have a cheat day today. You right. know, because you want to feel good. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, no, I'm not doing that. Like, exactly. It completely changes it. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, so JJ, rounding out here, uh, because I want to, I want people to know about your last book because it's not about sugar or diet or food in general. It's about our mindset. The title is Miracle Mindset, A Mother, Her Sons, and Life Hardest Lessons. Tell us why you wrote this book, because it was a shift for you to write this book. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it sounds like a shift, but the reality is everything that I do in each of my businesses, I start with mindset. Mm. Um, because without mindset, you're not getting anywhere. So whenever I do any of my books or programs, it all starts there. But, um, ultimately I realized that, that the book is about my son and when he was 16 and the Virgin Diet was just about to come out. Now I'm the financial support for my family. So I'm I'm the breadwinner and I have two kids, 15 and 16, and I've invested everything into this book and I've borrowed. So I'm all in. And my son was a victim of a hit and run, literally de- left for dead in the street. And I launched the Virgin Diet from the um, ICU at Harbor UCLA with my son in a coma. And it's interesting because we would go, I can't believe you did that. And I was like, well, I had to make the book work because I knew that whatever my son needed, he was, you know, 13 fractures, um, diffuse axonal injuries, a massive TBI. He was in a coma for weeks and a torn aorta. Um, I mean, all sorts of things. I was like, whatever this kid needs, I'm going to make sure he gets. So I had to make sure the book went because bankrupt wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do that. And I had to make sure I was there with him because, you know, bad things happen when you're not there. I'm not going anywhere anyway. It's my, my baby. Um, and I knew, and this is the twist. I knew that the only way I was going to pull that off was what I would call the me first mindset. Now you hear it on the plane, put the oxygen mask on you first. 
But the reality is, and I want to especially say this to women, we don't do it. In life, we're the martyrs. We put yes. ourselves last. We take care of our kids first. We make dinner for, for our kids. We eat the leftovers. You know, we just, everything is, is them with us last. And I, you know, who was I just talking to where they said, when mom's happy, the studies show that the kids are happy. And True. so I look at it and I think it's actually that the most selfless thing you can do is what would be perceived as selfish. And that is a me first mindset. I made the decision in the hospital that first day, at first 24 hours, I looked at the whole situation and I went, the only way I'm going to get through this is if I make sure I cannot get sick because you cannot go into the ICU with your son with, you know, he has a tube coming out of his brain. I can't go in there if I'm sick, too big of an infection risk. I can't make the decisions I have to make if I'm not totally on. And, you know, I'm doing interviews and I had to be game on. I couldn't get sick. I had to be, I'd make life and death decisions so that the only way I'm going to pull this off is if I'm like a hundred, hundred percent on my health. And thankfully I'd walked in that way, but I had to make sure I stayed that way. There was no margin for error. And, you know, I look at it now because my kids are very into health. I never pushed it on them. I kept healthy things around, but I wasn't like, you know, the police. They're both, you know, athletic. Um, and, I think that if you want to have healthy kids and you want to have kids who have good self-worth and self-confidence, then you must step up and put yourself first. And I'm not talking about, oh, I'm going to take time now to, you know, get a manicure. You know what I mean? That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in the way that you eat in, you know, meditating and getting enough sleep in showing them that, that, you know, self-love is self-care and that this has to start here. These are like lessons for a lifetime. And if they see you, you know, treating yourself with the lack of self-worth, how do you expect them to have it? Exactly. Exactly. I, I love that you're saying this. This is, this is something that comes up a lot on the show, especially when I coach moms, is they think they're doing their kids good by being the martyr and doing the self-sacrifice that's what you're teaching them is love. And that's not love. Being a martyr and self-sacrifice is not love. You were able to love your, show up for your son the best because you were taking care of yourself right. first. And then that made you able to serve him and show up for him in the best optimal way. So thank you. I, I, I love that you're sharing that. And when you, how would you define a miracle mindset? So a miracle mindset, it's funny because I've actually been really working on this whole thing. And I'll, I'll share with you that we're shifting it all over to really this whole concept of being a warrior mom. Mm. And if you're not a mom, then being a warrior woman. And what that means is that if you are out there and you're going to fight for your family and, you know, and their health and, and, you know, whether it's fighting for women's rights or fighting for your family's health, then you know that you have to show up as the best version of yourself. And so that means putting yourself first. And then once you do, it's really understanding that, you know, what, what is anything that happens out there is really up to us. And it's really going to be about what we believe is possible. And so that miracle mindset is that growth mindset that Carol Dweck from Stanford talks about is that that we actually have control here. You know, we tend to think, oh, it's the school system or, oh, it's the government. It's not. No, if we come from, you know, I have control over my part here. It's a very different conversation. It's very empowering. You know, you don't feel like a victim. Right. So that's really what it is. It's all about 
kind of owning your power, stepping into your into yourself and knowing that if, if you want to go out there, if you want things to be different, then you have to show up different. I love that because it takes you out of victim and it's not blaming anybody either. It's really being in that place of empowerment. Yes. I love that. I love that. Oh, JJ, you're so awesome. I, I have so much respect for you. You walk the talk, you inspire and help so many people. And you are, you're a warrior mom, warrior woman, just a force, a force of love and truth. So thank you for, for what you do. And please tell people where they can get more JJ. Oh, they can get more JJ at jjvirgin.com. That'll get you all the social stuff. And fun stuff because uh, podcasts, which I got to get you on my podcast. We have podcasts and recipes and fun lists and all sorts of stuff. All kinds of good stuff. Yes. All kinds of good stuff. We're always churning out a bunch of content. <laughs> <laughs> you are a content machine. That is for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, JJ. We'll link everything up in the show notes. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Until next time. 